Good evening to everyone in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, February 7th, 2024, and I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar evening of solutions for a new Alberta, brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect the prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. Of course, we couldn't do this without your help. If you can, please share, share, share this webinar. And if if you can, tell us in your comments which city or town you're watching from, as well as what platform you, uh, you're watching from. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, Rumble. And it looks like we had another Rumble issue that I got to try and fix for the next uh, broadcast. Uh, as well as after this live, we're also on other video and audio sites like Apple, Spotify, and Vimo. These webinars do take time and effort. We're looking for sponsorships for our webinars. If you'd like to sponsor an upcoming webinar, you can get in contact with us at... Doo -doo -doo. I always have this not ready. Uh, doo -doo -doo. Get a hold of us at contact at albertaprosperity.com and tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Maybe that's another thing that you could be doing as well. Um... APP is membership driven with a goal of a million plus members to help steer the political process. APP memberships are one year for $20, two years for 30, three years for 40, or you can make a donation at albertaprosperityproject.com. On our website here at the albertaprosperityproject.com, you can also go and look at our events that are coming up. We've actually got a lot of events coming up, which is, which is awesome. It's the beginning of the year. Things are happening. We've got a pension plan tour that is going out and uh, we've got Tanner today and uh, uh, Nadine uh, Wellwood and uh, and even Corey Morgan are out speaking on that. And our, I believe our very own Chris Scott will be going out to one or two of those just to say hello to everybody and make sure that everybody is all happy with the direction that uh, APP is going. And um, we've got some chapter meetings. Uh, we also have uh, this weekend uh, in Grand Prairie, we have an event going on here. The River is Going to Break Tour, or The River is Going to Break in Grand Prairie, featuring the Steve Castle Band. Uh, there's tickets for $35, uh, trivia and a prize, as well as just, just a place to get out, talk to like-minded people, talk about what's going on in Alberta, and uh, just go out and have a lot of fun. And if this one turns out really well, I think we're going to be doing a lot more of these across the province. So that's something that you could be looking forward to if you're up in that area. As well as I know we've got uh, Alberta Prosperity Project uh, APP Pension, if you want to call it the Alberta Pension Plan tour going on. And the next one is this weekend and, uh, or next weekend, I guess. Um, no, um, in Caroline on the 17th and in Calgary on the 21st and in Westlock on the 6th on SAR in SAR on the second. So all you need to do, just go into the website, check things out and uh, find out what's going on there. Um, so tonight's episode, I'm just gonna turn that off there. Tonight's episode is called The Results of the National Citizens Inquiry with Ken Drysdale, who's the chairman of the independent commissioners at the National Citizens Inquiry. We also have APP's interim CEO, Christopher Scott, who will be joining us as well. Chris also testified as a witness at the NCI in Red Deer in April, 2023. This is a live webinar, so we encourage you to ask questions and make comments throughout this presentation. Just put three question marks before your question so it's flagged and we can quickly review the questions. And with that, 
I'm now going to bring on Ken and Chris. Good Hi, evening, Gary. gentlemen. How you doing? Hi, Howdy, everybody. Chris looks like he's moving really, really fast. Where yeah. are you? Where am I? Where are you? I am uh, blazing down the highway towards Edmonton on Highway 16 in uh, my daughter's car with my son. Excellent. Well, thank thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you are a busy guy and you're running all over the province. And so thank you so much for taking the time and coming out. And Ken, Ken is in Manitoba. How are you doing, Ken? Wonderful. We've had incredible weather the last couple of weeks. We didn't get the minus 43 that you guys oh, had no, we in been a week ago when I was there or two weeks ago, whenever it was. <laughs> that was awesome. I don't know how that happens because I grew up in Manitoba and every every year there'd be a week where it was minus 40 oh, yeah. and uh, you try and do the three-point turn across a, a residential road, you break an axle because you end up hitting these ruts. That, uh, that doesn't seem to have happened this year. You know, that, that happens in Manitoba and still you guys have mosquitoes the size of cats. <laughs> I don't know how that works. I don't know. It doesn't kill them. It just doesn't kill them. Although I don't think we have what we, we don't have the the killer snakes. We don't have the uh, the killer spiders and whatever else that uh, that usually come with really warm temperatures. So, so having done that little bit of banter, <laughs> we want to get uh, down and talk about what happened at the NCI. So we've had you on before. We talked about uh, a little bit of what was going on after the National Citizens Inquiry. And uh, maybe we you can give just a, a brief update on what happened, you know, bring our readers up to, or watchers up to speed, kind of what happened maybe in the May to September timeframe. And then of course now you guys ended up just releasing a, a new uh, email blast out that talked a little bit about what the NCI is, is up to. And, uh, and maybe we can talk more about that. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, a, a lot has happened at the NCI um, since May, as yeah. you uh, as you know. The um, we uh, uh, carried out the hearings right across Canada. We visited eight cities from coast to coast in Canada, yeah. and in each city, we spent three days. And I think every day was about fifteen hours of wow. testimony that we listened to. So um, at the end of April, we we completed our hearings in Ottawa. And uh, then we started the process of creating the commissioner's report. And we completed that uh, and issued it to the public on November 28th, 2023. Um, it is currently available for free on our website, the nationalcitizensinquiry.ca. And, and there we go, under commissioner's report, you can select that. And it's in a couple of different uh, ways you can download it. You can download it as one ginormous file, and I'll get to that in a second. Or you can actually download it in a couple of different files. Okay. And the reason I say it's ginormous is, of course, our our assignment was was absolutely enormous. You know, we weren't restricted. We weren't we weren't told to look at one little thing or this thing or that thing. What we were told to do was. We were told to interview the Canadians that came forward and 305 Canadians were interviewed during the hearings. There were thousands more. We just couldn't fit into the schedule. But we 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 had 305 sworn witnesses who testified in a uh, semi-judicial process where it was done before the public. Uh, the person, the witnesses were 
um, uh, questioned by law by legal counsel, and then they were also questioned by the commissioners. Uh, all of those testimonies were videotaped. They're online. You can get them on the National Citizens Inquiry website again. Uh-huh. And um, all of their testimonies, their sworn testimonies, were uh, transcribed. So you can you can actually see the transcriptions of every single every word that every person said, or you can watch in my video. That's right. So the the culmination of that was that the report is five thousand three hundred forty two pages long, and that's uh you know that's pretty intimidating. But it's but really we designed the report for everybody to be able to easily use. And what I mean by that is, you know, the the report body, the part of the report that describes what we did and describes, you know, the the testimony we received and comes up with conclusions is 643 pages. And it's extensively indexed. So if you go to the table of contents in the report, the table of contents alone is like 15 pages long, right at the very beginning. And what what I'm suggesting people do in order to tackle this this thing is that they go to the table of contents and they look up um, uh, section eight. It's, what section eight is is it's a it's indexed to subject areas, and all it does is it lists each one of the almost 400 recommendations that the report makes. And so what a person can do is they can go into that table of contents under section eight. And you could just look for topics that you're interested in. And you can see you're paging up right now to it. And you could just see how extensive. There we go. Section eight. So, for instance, if you're interested in uh, the justice system, you can you can click on that and go to it. You can look at democratic institutions. You can look at schools. You can look at mandates. You can look at churches. You can look at um, the costs, Canada. And, and if you and if you and if you go to that section in section eight, you can just read the recommendations. And usually, it's probably two or three pages under each section of recommendations. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And then once you've done that, let's say that you know what you what you've got on the screen right now is section eight point two one, and it's called the neglect and isolation of seniors in Canada. Yeah. So once you read those recommendations, you might wonder, well, how did they come up with that? Well, if you go to section seven and under the same number. Seven two one, you'll find out how we came up with those recommendations. Who testified in that area? What were our discussions? What did we consider? And then we come up with conclusions, and you get those recommendations again. So now, what you've done is very quickly and easily, you've focused on an area that you're interested in. You've learned everything that we had to say about that, and you can also visit the website to watch the actual testimonies. And we list in section seven. You know who testified for what, so you can watch those. You can read their um, their uh, their uh, transcripts, and then you can look for another topic that you might be interested in. Section eight, maybe emer- you've got right there undermining democratic institutions. Yep. We got yep. pandemic in the workplace. So you so it's really set up wow. so that a person can easily access things that are of interest, and they can. They can enter in a very easy way, just looking at a list of recommendations, and then they can find out the reasoning behind it, and then they can move on to the next and the next and the next. So it's yeah. really set up to be user-friendly report to read. And and like I said, you know, it's, it might be 5,342 pages, but it's really indexed well, and you can just go in and pick out things that you might be interested in. Yeah. And I know... Ken. 
I, I was just going to say, I know Chris uh, was one of the witnesses and, and granted in his testimony, you know, he was specifically talking about how his business was affected. But some of the comments that he may have made about uh, health care or uh, how the government was handling things, I'm assuming that would end up being somewhere in this report and uh, and basically indexed in to say, you know, this was brought up. And yeah, if, if you page through, uh, just go down slowly through that table of contents you're in, you're in uh, and you could just the people could just see the dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of different areas that you can go look at. Here's. Uh, just slowing it down. You got non non pharmaceutical interventions. You got early treatments. We've got Canada's approval of pharmaceuticals. You've got uh, how the mandates affected businesses like Chris's. Uh, you have how it affected churches because we had a lot of testimony on that. Yeah. Um, it, there's just dozens and dozens and dozens of different topics that cover from one end of the Canadian society to the other. So we were non restricted in what we what we had to deal with. Yeah. So, Ken, this is all, uh, people can access all of this information for free, correct? Absolutely. It's absolutely free on the National Citizens Inquiry website, which is www.nationalcitizensinquiry.ca. And what they're displaying on the screen right now is one of the tabs, and it's called Commissioner's, here, um, Commissioner's Report. And you can see you can download it here. You can download the full report, which is a big download. Or you can download volumes one and two, which is essentially the summary and analysis. And volume three are the witness transcripts, sworn witness transcripts. So we made it we made it so that if you had a bit of a slower connection, you didn't have to take the whole the whole thing all at once. You could just take bits and pieces of it. And and again, what I other thing I said is it's going to be on Amazon Books shortly. Yeah. And uh, the pricing, by the way, will reflect the cost. It, it does not include any profit or anything for the commission in there, to my yeah, knowledge. So so. On, on that note, um, I just want to point out that, you know, while this is free for everyone to access, the cost to do this, uh, it was not free. It costs a lot of money. So, uh, Ken, for, for those who are appreciative of what the NCI is doing and they want to help, uh, they want to help you guys continue to do this work, uh, how can they support the NCI? Again, on the homepage of the National Citizens Inquiry.ca, you can see there's a donate button there, and you can click that and donate to the National Citizens Inquiry. And you know, I think it's important because you know you hear and people have a right to ask hard questions. And and uh, just with regard to the cost, if you go to home, if you click on the home uh, button, and then that should take you down to donate. Uh, yes. where it should be. Yeah, I found it. It should be at the bottom. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's important to note that when we were on the road and we were going city to city, um, it was costing us about thirty three thousand dollars a city. And now that included, um, uh, you know, the cost to rent the facilities, uh, the cost of the hotels, uh, that kind of thing. But I can tell you, you know, I was the or I am the uh, chairman of the commissioners and my salary for all of those uh, hearings and for the 1500 hours I put into putting into the report, my, 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 uh, my uh, salary was a dollar and NCI hasn't paid me yet. <laughs> so, you know, we're not wasting money folks. <laughs> what you've invested in is, you know, what you, what you've really invested in here, this has not been done yet in the world. This is the first in the world and it is an encyclopedia what happened in Canada due to the yeah. mandates, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's an unmatched resource in the entire world. I mean, this is a template again, you know, it's a Canadian first 
in the yeah. world, and I'm sure it's going to be followed by a lot of different countries and a lot of different organizations in the in yeah. in, uh, in the world. Well, you definitely took the, the first question I was going to ask: is where else is this point being done? And and you just answered it that when or uh, uh, basically Canada is the only place that's doing this. You know? Well, you know, it's like it's like the truckers. You know, it happened here in Canada first. Yeah. And and now it's happening all over the world. I mean, and even in different areas, you see the truckers going down to Texas. You yeah. see what's going on with the tractors all throughout Europe. That was all inspired by the Canadian heroes, the Canadian You're truckers. Right. You are right. So on that note, um, number one, why why are we doing this, and why should we continue to do this? And then number two, what did we find out? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, those are really big questions. First <laughs> off, the why is because the government isn't going to do it. And if they do it, it will be a sham, just like the Rolo inquiry. You know, the Rolo inquiry, yeah. if you recall the conclusions, it may have been illegal, it may not have been illegal. And that was it. And then it was up to a federal court, you know, almost a year later to come and say that it was unconstitutional. And when you look at all the scandals in the Trudeau government, you know, and you and it's not... You know, I hate to I hate to say it, but it wasn't just the liberals and the NDP. The PCs didn't stand up. They were not counted during this thing. They did not stand up and say anything against it. So the reason it's necessary is that first it's contemporaneous. In other words, the earlier to an event that you can get witness testimony, the more accurate it is and the more healing it is, not just for the, you know, there's some healing to the witness when they can come out and say what happened to them and they start to discover there's other people who experience the same things, but it's also healing for the country, you know, where people can start to come together. And I have, I, I can tell you how many, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, you know, I guess I wasn't crazy. This happened to me too. And, and you know, what happened was so unbelievable. I mean, look at in Alberta and in Ontario, for that matter, they the government executed two people. They executed Sheila Lewis in Alberta and they executed. And gosh, I'm, I apologize. I can't remember the young man's name who who needed a kidney transplant in Ontario and was left to die just like Sheila Lewis was. Yeah, so, you know, they 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 this was not a little thing. You know, they every just about every institution in Canada failed Canadians, you know, the, the medical profession. The, the justice system, you know, the justice system was hiding behind mootness and they were hiding behind judicial uh, decrees and all kinds of crazy things. The banking system failed us. We all learned that, um, you know, your churches failed you, your businesses failed you. Um, so th this was not a little thing. You know, it's, it's incredible that some uh, private citizens group was forced to step in and do this because First off, there was nobody who wasn't tainted by the illegality and the criminality of what happened, except for the citizens themselves. And secondly, you don't have to look very far to see how corrupt the, the different governments are with regard to reporting about their own mouth thiefins. thiefins. Yeah, yeah. You know, just on the on the note, a note on the, the healing aspect of the NCI. I can attest to witnessing that when I was there. Like I watched that happen in real time, right before my eyes. Um, you know, as people were sharing their stories during the testimony, and then after just mingling with people, that was uh, that was a big deal, and it was a big deal for a lot of people. Yeah, and and you know, they 
those testimonies are life changing. And, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, the report and it's big and this is how you should navigate it. But I, one of the things I always say to folks is just go to the National Citizens Inquiry website and go to the homepage and you'll see there's a little click there for hearings and click down and then it lists all the cities. And if you click on that, it brings it brings you up a list of everybody who testified in that city. So if you click on hearings at the very top, at the very top, yeah, hearings, yeah. and then just choose. Uh, there you go. So now if you click on Red Deer, for instance, yeah, and now so this lists all in in order of how they testified, and you yeah. can click on any of these, and it takes you to a separate web page. It has their video on it, has their transcripts on it, and so what I say to people is. Maybe before you start reading, just pick three testimonies. I don't care where. I don't care what city, and I don't care who you oh, – there's Chris Scott. Yeah, yeah. And just listen to those three um, testimonies, and it will change your life, and it will really deeply affect you. I, I, you know, I, think, I think all of us who volunteered in this thing, particularly the four commissioners, you know, the, no one else – no one else sat – and listen to every single testimony from day one to day 23, other than the commissioners. And I wow. can tell you, I've been questioned on this many, many times as to, you know, what happened at the end of the day? And did you folks go out and talk about what you heard? And no, you know, these testimonies were so heartbreaking, so riveting, so earth shattering that, you know, at the end of the day, first we were exhausted, but secondly, we just needed to console each other. You know, we'd go out for dinner and we would just talk about children and grandchildren and those kinds of things just for a, you needed, you needed um, an emotional uh, break, you know, each night because these things are so incredibly heartbreaking and in all kinds of ways, you know, I mean, from people being executed like Sheila Lewis and people being denied services, you know, people, I mean, I, 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 I could go on all night with the horrendous stories that I've heard, you know, in these, in the, in the, in the callousness of people. And, you know, I remember distinctly one story from the lady who testified in Saskatoon. Her mother went to get the, uh, the shots and over lunch, over lunch hour, and uh, and uh, I, I can't remember. I think it was Cindy Stevenson. I can't quite remember. But her mother had gone to get the shot over the lunch period, and she was texting back and forth with her mother. No, it wasn't Cindy. And and what happened was is the there was a lineup of people to get the shot. And when her mother's turn came, she went behind a little curtain. They stuck the needle in her. And um, just before that, the mother had texted her daughter and said, "Oh, it's my turn now. Everything's fine." And then. She never heard again from her mother until her brother phoned and said that seven minutes after they shot, put the needle in her arm, she dropped dead on the floor of the shopper's drug mart in, right. in Saskatoon. And what was more shocking than that even is some days later, she got a text from uh, just a, a, or a citizen who happened to be there at the time. And the citizen said when her mother hit the floor dead, cold stone, stone cold dead, not a single person who was standing in the line waiting their turn got out of the line. That what? was a level of terror. Yeah, that was uh, the level. Uh, no, no. You know what? You know what it is? That was the level of terror. Oh, yeah, you're right. 
That $1.4 billion shoveled into the CBC uh, can do to citizens. You know, I mean, uh, look at Joseph Gobbles has nothing. He gives up nothing to the CBC and the mainstream media for what they did. And by the way, in the report, in the, in the commissioner's report, there's an entire section on media. And there's a specific section on the CBC. And there's a specific section on the so-called private mainstream media as well. So I, I'm not sure it was so much uh, sheepish behavior, but they had been terrified, you know, yeah. seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Well, they're I mean, still doing that. They're still doing that on, on TV. As a matter of fact, I know there's a couple of people that are, that are commenting, too, that, uh, you know, they're, the, the, uh, a relative can't get a new kidney because they still don't have, uh, still didn't get the shot. And here we are, like, two two years later, three years, two years. Like, what is going on? Well, you know, that was that was one of the things that were was particularly heinous about what those people did to uh, Sheila Lewis. You see, they demanded that she get the covid shot in 2022 in the summer or fall of 2022. And we already knew by that time that first, the vaccines were unsafe. Second, that they hadn't been tested on on very many people or and and the results were were fraudulent or uh, uh, supposedly fraudulent. Yeah. We knew that it didn't stop transmission. We knew that it didn't stop infection. Yeah. And and yet they still insisted that she get it. And and that's not all, folks. It even gets worse. She got tested for antibodies to COVID-19, and they proved that she was immune to getting COVID-19 because she had it already. Yeah. But these 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 tin-plated gods practicing in our government hospitals decided that. No, they knew better, even though the rest of the world knew that it was all it was all fraudulent. And they stood by and our court stood by because she took it to court, King's Court. She took it to the appeal court of Alberta. They turned it down. And the cowards in the Supreme Court of Canada didn't have the courage to take up the case. So she ended up dying. Now, it was pointed out to me just a little while ago, that right at the very end, just before she was going to die, the Alberta doctors reversed themselves and said, oh, come on in. We, we'll do it now. But it was already too late. And she died. Well, there, there is a little more to that, Ken. So um, I want to point out there is one more thing that we knew by then as well. And that was that there was a lot of people making billions of dollars because of this. But anyway, maybe that, that probably has nothing to do with it. But with the Sheila Annette Lewis thing, and I would say uh, anybody who watches Sheila Annette Lewis's testimony at the, NC- at the NCI and has dry eyes afterwards is a robot. Um, so our, our, our friend, uh, Dr. Dennis Modry, he was advocating for Sheila Annette Lewis, says, you know, Dr. Modry, he was chair of the uh, transplant uh, committee or board or whatever for years in Alberta. And so he was advocating very strongly for, for Sheila. And he was successful in getting her back on the, uh, like they agreed to give her some lungs. But what the, the problem is, uh, wh- whoever the director was at the time wouldn't put her on, it was some sort of a, a mechanical device that helped you breathe while you were waiting for a lung transplant. And they wouldn't let her do that because she didn't meet the criteria or something like that. So she was going to get some lungs but they just chose not to keep her alive long enough to be the recipient of those lungs. So it's even worse than people, people realize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the callousness, the callousness of this, and, and, you know, these are supposed to be scientists 
And, what, and, and if, if we know anything about science, I'm a professional engineer, as you know, so I'm a what they call a practical scientist. Um, if, if there's one thing about science, it's, it's never settled. In other words, it's always developing. It's like the weather. It's always changing. And for these people to have made this requirement and not have been up to date with the actual evidence on this thing is criminal, in my opinion. Absolutely criminal. What? No, that doesn't make any sense, Ken. I thought science nowadays was all about a consensus and going with the majority opinion. You know, folks don't realize that this has been going on for a long time. And, and you know, we, we are replacing and we have been replacing for probably three, four decades, actual science and scientific thought with dogma. And, and, and I saw this in my own uh, experience already going back 20, 25 years. You know, I, 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 was, um, I spent a lot of time in the high Arctic and I'm considered an expert in the design of buildings and permafrost and Arctic places. And I remember getting asked to go to a Rotary Club once and give a speech on, on things in the Arctic. And, and you know, uh, they asked questions and then at the end of the day, there was a lineup of people there. And some fella came up to me and he said, um, you know, I, I had made a statement that the permafrost is not deteriorating the way the government says. I've drilled holes in every single community, just except one in Nunavut. And I can tell you my, with my own eyes, it's a false, it's a lie. Anyway, that's one fellow that comes up to me and just to show dogma. You know, he comes up and he says, Mr. Drysdale, you know, I listened to your presentation. I thought it was really great. But when you made those comments about permafrost, I knew you knew nothing about the Arctic. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said... Have you ever been there? <laughs> and of course, all that that is is dogma. You know, the CBC, yeah, the, the, the CTV, National Geographic, David oh, Suzuki. Start on, on David Suzuki that one time, that one show, and uh, that's that's gospel. Oh, yeah. You know, where they, I always remember, I, I, my wife will testify this, where I think it was the American Audubon Society was talking about the melting Arctic and they showed a polar bear lonely out on a piece of ice floating out into the ocean. He's going to drown. Well, the fact of the matter is polar bears go out on that water. They swim a hundred miles or so and they're on ice and that's their environment. But people took it as they were going to die. <laughs> so, you know, we've replaced, and it's been going on for a long time. We've replaced dogma of science with dogma. And it's just amazing to me, or I, I sorry, I should say that I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that somebody didn't start calling us witches, you know, if you weren't wearing a mask or you didn't get the magic vaccination, because that's where it got to. People, neighbors were snitching on neighbors, parents were going against children, children were going against uh, the, the, themselves, their spouses, communities were tearing themselves apart. Um, you, you know, that every, every segment, of, I remember during the NCI, we had testimony from a number of people from the Canadian Armed Forces. And they were talking about how many members of the Canadian Armed Forces we lost to mandates, early retirement, et cetera. And what they said was, is the Canadian Armed Forces lost more people due to the mandates than we had lost since World War II. That's how significant this stuff was. That's insanity. Was that like that all over the world? like? Uh, basically anybody that didn't get the jab and was working, say, in the military or working in a hospital or anything like that, they lost their jobs and, and basically, you know, were they, were, were they injured? You know, these are, these are types, types of questions that I get, like, all the time. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's all we hear about is what's happened in Canada. Well, there were places in the world where the same thing happened and there were other places that didn't. And, you know, we had testimony. Actually, he testified three times, Dr. Denis Rancourt, Canadian scientist. He testified about all cause mortality in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and according to his research, he said there were no excess deaths due to COVID. When you, when you looked at the timing of when the deaths occurred, they yeah. started a week to two weeks after vaccine pushes and vaccine rollouts. And, and the biggest jump was in uh, uh, March of 2020, when the government imposed these insane lockdowns and mandates originally initially, and people were dying of loneliness, suicide, drug overdoses, and, and there was a lack of care. Yeah, lack of care. And, and you know, people don't understand something about that. When the government announced on, I think it was March 14th or March 20th, when they announced the lockdowns and mandates, Canada is a country of 40 million people. And at that point, one 82-year-old person supposedly had died of COVID, one out of 40 million. And they supposedly had 1,200 infection cases, uh, which uh, I don't know how they confirmed at that point how they, that they were actually infected with COVID. So that's in question. But 1,240 million. Yeah. You've got to get your mind around it. And then they locked down like that. You know, well, we have, I don't know how many it is, 85,000 people dying a year from heart disease yeah. or, or obesity well, and drug overdose. Again, medical malpractice. You did all the reports, so you know what uh, what it was. But I remember vividly, and I'm sure everybody watching remembers vividly, those first two weeks, we didn't know what was happening. The propaganda that was coming out was everyone's going to die. We saw the videos from China and people literally just dying uh, on the street. So everyone was scared, and it just kind of made sense to lock down. Well, I know that should have quickly, you know, two weeks after that, kind of went, uh, nobody died. Especially when we found out that that was all fake. Yeah. Well, that should should have been the biggest red flag. That should have been end of story right there. If they're faking these things to try and scare us, obviously it's not scary enough to be scared of. No. And, and you know, the, the other thing was, and I think, I think it was a testimony by Dr. Marcus. I could be right wrong about that. He was in the virtual hearings. And uh, what he said was, and he showed it, that starting in January 2020, the Canadian government, Health Canada, had all the statistics of all of the deaths that were being reported around the world. So January, February, March, and those statistics showed already, it was already a known fact that the people most at risk were over 82 years of age and they had comorbidities. So why would we have to lock down 18-year-olds and lower? Why would we have to lock down 25-year-olds? They knew this information before they locked down, and they did it anyway. So I I can't suggest to Canadians what in the heck happened there, why they did such a thing. But the evidence is clear. You know, they knew. We didn't know as Canadians because all we knew was what the CBC was telling us. It was all lies. But, um, But the government knew. And they knew starting January, February, March, what was going on. Yeah. Well, and even Dr. John Campbell, who I'm sure you, you may have talked to or at least know of him in the UK, you know, at first he was like totally on board saying, yeah, everyone's got to be locked down, blah, blah, blah. And as he did his research on this, he came up and said, no, there is surprising evidence that this is not the way it is. And he basically did like a mini version of the NCI going out and talking to everybody and and again, this this is one guy doing it in the UK, 
And here you guys, and again, kudos to the amazing work that you guys did with the, the NCI across Canada, talking to 300 plus people and hearing different stories, not just health related stories, but how mental language, how it affected businesses, how it affected health healthcare. So, well, yeah, and it, it was amazing. It was amazing how the, you know, we had testimony from, I don't remember her name. I think it was in Toronto. And I apologize, but there was 305 witnesses. And I, I have a hard time sometimes. Yeah. But there was a there was a lady and her husband in Toronto. She she testified. I think it was in the fall, like in September, October of, of 2019. She and her husband got a loan from the Business Development Bank of Canada to start a spa business. Now, for folks that don't know, the Business Development Bank of Canada is the federal government lending, supposedly lending money to small business. So they got this loan from the from the the the, the federal law, federal government to start this business. Well, in March, of course, the government, the same government that loaned them the money and said their business was viable, locked them down, closed them up. And then sued them for their money and forced them into bankruptcy. So you know, it's a, it's a, you know I, that one isn't the worst story, but for some reason or other, that one really stood out in my mind. That you know, the government obviously thought they were viable, but then they locked them down and sued them for their money back and bankrupted them. So I mean, that's what your federal government was doing. You know, just one of the examples of millions. We, we have a lot of people asking for different uh, webinars and, and different topics. And, and again, like you said, one of the topics ends up being, I'm a small business owner. I ended up collecting the CERB. I had to use it in order to continue on my business. Now the loan is going to do. I have no money. I'm now forced to uh, lose my business. But I actually think 2024 may be the year that there's a lot of businesses that go under. Yeah, and I agree with that. And and you know what? There's a lot of small businesses that are going to be suing over. It. You know, my initial um, my initial um, uh, uh, foray into this was over two years ago, and I wrote uh, what's become known as the 89 page report. And what that was, it was a report uh, allegations about the COVID 19 pandemic. Now, yeah. you know that thing. I when I wrote it out of naivety, I didn't really think it was going to go anywhere. I thought I would take it to the police and they would investigate. Of course, they didn't. But what happened was, is Canadians investigated, and I think that report has now been downloaded, copied, printed somewhere around 2.5 million times. Yeah. And it's been delivered to every police station in Canada, every MP, every MLA, every doctor every it's just amazing you know but again canadians took the initiative there yeah. i mean the government didn't want to hear any of it it was really interesting you know i i had a meeting with um mps and uh, one mp i met, met with and i asked him so you know um you know what, what is it that happened to be a progressive conservative and i said so what are the progressive conservative members of parliament thinking about this national citizens inquiry well you know we've been talking about it behind closed doors and i said well will you commit to presenting it in parliament for us and of course it's, oh, you know, we'll have to see what happens and uh, all this other kind of stuff and and it, it's it's amazing it's this isn't wasn't just an ndp and a liberal problem it was also a pc problem it was a it was a banker problem. It was a church problem. It was a it was a medical problem. It was a finance problem. Name it, and, and it failed us. So, with all that said, what were the results 
of the National Citizens Inquiry? What were the recommendations? Well, there are just about 400 recommendations, so I can't go through them all here, uh, but they're written, in, uh, I want to remind folks, we wrote them in plain English. There's nothing fancy. There's no million dollar lawyer words in there. It's written black and white in plain English, and we actually give you real recommendations that can be used. And, um, and you know, one of the other questions I get asked all the time is, you know, Ken, what do you think is going to happen with this report? And do you think the government's going to do something with it? And, I, you know, I have to laugh. The government's not going to do anything with this unless they're forced to. And so people should think of the National Citizen Inquiry report as a couple of things. First, it's a contemporaneous historical document of sworn testimonies of Canadians from across the country. This will be taught or in schools at some time in the future, once all the politics is gone on this. Um, secondly, and more importantly, people should consider the National Citizens Inquiry Report to be a toolbox. And what do I mean by that? You know, I'm a, I've been involved in construction in over 40 years, 42, 43 years now, I believe, maybe a little more. And, you know, I've been on hundreds, if not thousands of construction sites, and I have never yet seen a carpenter come on to a construction site in the morning, put their toolbox down on the floor, go home, come back at the end of the day and expect the toolbox to have gone out and built the house. And so Canadians should be thinking about this National Citizens Report as a toolbox, but you have to pick it up. You have to open it. You have to know what's in it. You have to copy it. You have to give it to your doctor. You have to give it to your MP, your MLA. When you're standing in line at a grocery store, you should say to the person sitting, standing behind you or in front of you, hey, what do you know about this NCI thing I've been hearing about? And start a conversation. So it is a, the NCI report in and of itself is not, is not the solution. Canadians are the solution. And they have to pick that thing up. They've got to educate themselves. They have to educate people around them. And really... They need to be outraged about what happened. And believe me, if you read this report, you will be outraged. And so one of the things I always say is, and I've stolen this from, uh, from uh, Kiro Yamamoto from World War II. You know, he's famous for a quote that he made. And I've kind of changed it a little bit. And I always say that I hope, my, my greatest hope is that the NCI report awakens a sleeping giant of Canadians and fills them with a terrible rage. Yeah. And, and if it does, we will have justice. You know, people will get involved with organizations like the APP, Alberta Prosperity Project, or Manitoba Stronger Together is another one, which yeah. is a grassroots, they're, they're all grassroots organizations that are aiming to take back political power and give it back to the people in a grassroots way. Yeah. I always... I'm always curious as to, and somebody says to me, you know, why are you involved in this? And uh, my life is, hasn't been affected at all, and I'm not going to get involved. And it's like, man, I wish I was you because everyone I know has been affected. And I don't even know how they could not get involved in something like this. You know, everybody is effective, affected, even though people that continue to work. I mean, look at the Canadian national debt. Prior to the, the to the COVID uh, uh, fiasco was, a, I think it, I'm going by my memory again, it's in the report. I think it was about six hundred and forty uh, uh, yeah. billion dollars. That's it's right. now one point one or one point two trillion dollars. Yeah. So what took 
you know, it took us 150 years plus or minus to get to where it was at 600 and something billion. And we have nothing to show for almost doubling that debt, you know, in, in, in a couple of years, two or three years. And we have nothing to show for it except broken homes, broken businesses, broken education system, broken medical system. I mean, the, the, the confidence that Canadians have in healthcare is almost zero. I, I, think, I think they have more confidence in used car salesmen now than they do in, in medical. And, and for good reason, when you see what, what happened yeah. during the pandemic. Yeah. yeah, there are people making those comments as well. Um, we're about 45 minutes. I'm going to actually start to go through some of the comments. Chris, did you want to make anything or say anything before we get into some of the comments? No, I'm actually, uh, you know, whenever I think about this, like Ken was mentioning that, not, or you mentioned that not everyone was affected and yeah. affect me, well, whatever. And it actually makes me think about myself and how I was before my business was affected by the mandates, you know. Uh, there's all sorts of, all sorts of societal issues that we should have been involved in and we weren't because they didn't affect us and our world just went on the you know kept turning and things just continued to move along for us meanwhile there's other people that really needed some advocacy they really needed some help but we didn't do it because it didn't affect us and now you know we're, we're on the we're on this in this strange place where we're very aware of these things that happen to people around us and um in a in another time, you know, years ago, we might not have been so receptive to to do something about it, but that's changed. And so, j just to think that there's so many Canadians out there that actually know that people are dying. For instance, there's someone in my town who, uh, you know, they literally said that I should be drug out into the street and shot because I wasn't following what the government was saying to do. And they commented once, like. What the heck? Why is everybody dying? Everyone around me is dying. What's going on? And we're like, uh, well, what's changed? Yeah. You know, and I experience this all the time. Oh, we have, uh, there's, there's record numbers of certain illnesses and diseases. We didn't have that before. Oh, what's going on? Well, I don't know, but what's changed? Is there a temporal correlation between that and something else that's happening or happened in the last three years? but they just don't get it. And I realized that at some point we almost have to just forget about those people. Yeah. Not, not that we don't care about them. We, we have to forget about trying to reach them and just move ahead and push ahead with solutions, dragging them, kicking and screaming if we have to, because you know, if we don't, um, nothing's going to change, but it is really frustrating to, to be so aware of these things and, and also watch other people completely, ignore reality to the point of almost illusion yeah well you know before we go on i just want to put a cap, a, a, a cap on what chris was saying if people think it's over january 15th 2024 in the winnipeg free press which is one of the larger newspapers in canada who by the way according to the frontier center half of their budget comes from the government but in any case january 15th 2024 winnipeg free press go look it up they have an article called the unwanted unvaxxed and that and the author of that article goes on and on and talks about 
how evil the unvaxxed are, and she dreams and almost lusts over what will be written on their tombstones when they die from COVID because they didn't take the vaccine. Now, interestingly enough, Manitoba Stronger Together, the group uh, uh, issue with this and went on a letter writing campaign, not so much to the editors, it was done to the editors, but you know who we wrote the letters to? We wrote them to the advertisers. And we and and I guess it's cold comfort, but we did get an apology. But that is the the state of things today. People still think believe these lies. And they still they still hold these grudges or these hatreds for people who stood up like Chris did. And and it's just incredible. And that's still going on today. So folks, it isn't over. And if you peel everything back, Ken, you know, that comes down to uh, we're not we're not fighting like between vaccinated and unvaccinated or right and left or liberal and conservative. You peel all of those things back and it comes down to we are fighting a battle between the idea that human beings are sacred and humanity is important and uh, alternatively that humans are a disease and policy should be anti-human in nature. You know, that, that's what this all comes down to. And that's, it's actually quite uh, a little bit frightening. Well, you're right, Chris. And one thing that people don't understand, and I want to make them understand it, is that when the government put in force all of the mandates and the Emergencies Measures Act, what they did was they changed you from being a, a sovereign human being with rights to a chattel. In other words, you were a slave. You yeah. couldn't say... You couldn't go where you wanted to go. You couldn't make a living. You couldn't You couldn't refuse to get an injection. You were spat on. You were beaten. And I'm not exaggerating because I've heard lots of testimony on this. Yeah. And so they changed free Canadians from free human beings to chattel or slaves overnight. Um, lots of questions in regards to... Um, I'm just going to kind of wrap it up into a bubble. Lawsuits or class action lawsuits against the government, against uh, employers. Can you make any comment on that, whether or not you had anything in the NCI with that, or maybe stuff that you know? There, there are class action lawsuits coming or in progress in just about every province, or I should say every province in Canada. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, that's a provincial matter. So each province is different. Yeah. My suggestion for folks to find out who, what's going on in your province is to get a hold of your local freedom groups in Alberta. There's several of them in Manitoba. Uh, there's several of them in Ontario. There's a number. So uh, I think that's what you need to do. You need to get a hold of the freedom groups that people are on the ground to find out how you can become a part of it. Because yeah. in a lot of these class action lawsuits, or sorry, in a class action lawsuit, you don't actually have to be an active member of it. You, it, you right. If you're part of the class, in other words, someone that lost a job or someone who, who fits the class that is being sued for, yeah. when they are successful, you're automatically uh, entitled to compensation from whatever the pot is. And so you have to make yourself known to the people doing it. But in any case, these class actions are starting all over the country. They're, and it's not just class actions. There's civil lawsuits. Uh, you know, and people are already starting to refer to things like the NCI report or the 89 page investigative report in trial. 
yeah. uh, for evidence. Uh, so it's a really it's it, we're in an exciting time, folks. I mean, human rights commissions are are ruling against uh, uh, government. There's a union, the Purelator Union, Teamsters Union in BC ruled against Purelator's rule where they were taking people off of the job. And we had somebody who was a Purelator employee testified to NCI. So that ruling came out. And uh, and uh, so you're going to start seeing these things really start to ripple across the country. Yeah. So I can, uh, I can, I'll make a quick comment on what's going on in Alberta here. So Ken, I, I'm sure you already know this, but I'm... Uh, one of the co-lead plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit against the Alberta government, which actually puts me in a, a, a quite an awkward position. But uh, yeah, we, we are suing the government on behalf of every business in Alberta that was affected by the mandates and the restrictions. So any business that was impacted, that was closed, whatever. Uh, that's uh, Rebecca Ingram and I are the, the lead plaintiffs in that. And I believe that our lawyer, our, our law firm, uh, uh, Rath and Associates, a Rath and Company have just put their uh, the the page and the intake form is live now, so you can find that at rathandcompany.com. Uh, in addition, our friend Leighton Gray, uh, he has a number of actions that are that he's pursuing. You can check his stuff out at gwsllp.ca. Yeah. Um, both of those uh, both of those firms are extremely active here in Alberta in class action litigation resulting from what uh, the government did and employers did over the COVID stuff. So you can find a lot of information there. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm actually just putting those up right now so that uh, people can uh, grab that. Um, oh, and as for groups, Ken mentioned to check out your local groups to see what's going on. Um, in Alberta here, we have a, uh, a freedom calendar and it has listed dates and uh, locations for all sorts of events that are happening in Alberta. And Carrie, do you have the link for that? Is uh, I actually have the window open and I'll put that up right now. Perfect. So okay. this is just some, some resources that you folks can use to uh, help navigate your way through this. Freedomcalendar.net. And, uh, and in this case, we're, you know, I just happened to have the page open on the Alberta pension plan. So if you want to go up to uh, an event and actually learn more about the pension plan here in Alberta, uh, there's pros and cons for both uh, and different groups doing things. I know uh, APP is putting some on. Um, there's also a train the trainer uh, being done by the, the Makels that uh, we know. Um, there's also a few NDP are putting those on and saying don't go for the Alberta pension plan, go for the Canada pension plan. So again, another resource that you guys can uh, go and check out here as well. Um, so yeah, just to get back to some of the questions again, of course the, the lawsuits was a big thing. And um and here's this has come up a couple of times. Is there a short summary of expert testimony that might become available for use in the legal hearings? I'm just gonna say Entire, entire NCI report is available, right? Yeah, what you can do is, once again, my suggestion to you is if you're looking for a particular type of testimony, there was, I think, 92 different yeah. experts, world-renowned experts that testified at the NCI. And so if you're interested in a certain area of expertise, go to, section, go to the table of contents, section eight, find that area that you're interested in, read it, 
and it will list to you who the experts were that we relied upon in our conclusions. And then you go to the NCI website, go to the hearings, find that person in the particular day, and then watch their testimony. And you'll get exactly what you want, who the person is, what they were saying. And you'll yeah. also have a, a transcript of their actual uh, remarks. And so to get a little farther into that and clarify that, yeah. this the, the testimony in the NCI uh, very likely would not be admissible as evidence. However, uh, by identifying the witnesses and the experts uh, that, that have the information, uh, if you were involved in something that was going to go to court, you could reach out to them, get affidavits, and go through the proper procedure to bring that uh, expert witness testimony into court. Yeah. Exactly. And like I said, the NCI report is like an encyclopedia. Encyclopedia of what happened, an encyclopedia that contains who it affected and how. And yeah. you use that just like you would. I guess, I guess I'm older and I remember when we had those big sets of encyclopedias. Party 30 30 books of the Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, you, you can see I've still got some, uh, if I can get my finger to work right here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I know. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. We Wikipedia everything, and even that's not true. Uh, so I hope that answers Judy's question. She said, are these legal for cha uh, for cha charges in court eventually if we get a new government or RCP doing the job? They, like Chris's paraphrased answer, no, not really, but they're a good resource that could be could be used. Um, and again, comments like Barry, sorry, I, I have to interrupt here for a moment. Sure. Uh, um, I'm I'm gonna have to punt out here, fellas. Uh, it's okay. the weather's not great. It's quite icy. My daughter's driving, and I don't want to distract her while she's driving. So I'm going to okay. uh, say thank you for uh, doing the webinar, Ken, and thanks, Carrie, for hosting. And okay. I'm gonna have to take off. Okay. Well, drive thanks, safe, Chris. and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Chris. Right on. Okay. You bet. Well, people, we had a little bit of a technical issue with that, but uh, when Chris left, uh, it just seemed to kill the stream. But we're going to wrap things up. Ken, thank you so much for joining us and uh, and letting us know what, what's happening with the NCI and, of course, giving us all the links and, and able to go and, uh, and definitely the viewers. Share, share, share. Get out there. Get the word out on the NCI. Ken, so being uh, the, uh, the commissioner, do you want to leave us with anything that maybe you've learned from the NCI and, 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 and that we can take going forward? Absolutely. One thing I've learned uh, during the NCI is that, folks, we can't wait for some white knight to come riding in to save us on this. This is up to each of us. You know, when I first heard about the National Citizens Inquiry and how what they were talking about doing, I have to admit, I thought it was an impossible task. You were going to take a ragtag group of people take them right across the country, hear hundreds and hundreds of Canadians speak. And how are we going to, you know, I'm an engineer. How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to get the logistics done to that? And that was all done by everyday Canadians like you and I, you know, who were donating $5. They were, they were donating their time. They were donating their resources, their expertise. And, you know, I, I had the privilege of meeting thousands of people from across this country who, want a better future for us and they have taken their future in their own hands mm -hmm. and that's what we have to do so please folks yeah. the national citizens inquiry report is a tool 
And if you leave it on the shelf, it's just going to get rusty and it's not going to do anything. But if you pick up that tool and you wield it in your own hand and you make people aware of it and you use yeah. it, yeah. we can change everything, folks. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've, we've said many, many times that people just need to get involved. And uh, maybe this is the kick in the butt for a lot of people that they just need to get involved. Read the reports, watch some of the videos, watch the ones again that are that are important to you. And, uh, and maybe we can actually make this world uh, a much better place. Certainly, certainly Alberta and Canada. So again, thank you, Ken. Uh, and I also want to thank everyone for, for watching us. Again, we do this every Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, Alberta Prosperity Project webinars. Next Wednesday is, a, is an important one too. February 14th, Valentine's Day. We have Roy Bayer, who is the co-founder of Taking Back Our Freedoms. And February 14th also happens to be the anniversary of the Emergencies Measures Act. So we'll be discussing that, as well as the Tucker, uh, Truckers Convoy, uh, the Coots 4, and the Coots Anniversary. Um, uh, actually, the Coots Anniversary Convoy a couple of weeks ago on January 27th. As well as on February 17th, uh, there are protests for the Coots men in, in a lot of cities across the, across the country here. We got Lethbridge. Calgary, Edmonton, Camrose, Vancouver, Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Vernon, Kelowna, Fort St. John, Penticton, Toronto, and Scarborough. And I know there's going to be more added on. And I'm just going to quickly add the banner on there for uh, people can find out more uh, right here. Uh, I'm going to make that a little bit bigger instead of just a banner. Uh, let's see if I do this and go there so february 15th rallies are you can find out at forjustice.ca and coots uh, 4com so and we're going to be talking a lot more about the coots 4 not on these webinars but please go to uh the chris carey show we do these webinars we post repost these all the time uh and uh and of course we are a little bit of a plug this is the the type of stuff that we do we do the reports uh that the mainstream media is not talking about we actually did one on a uh, uh, protecting Alberta's children uh, as a uh, uh, press conference last week. So you can go check that out. Once again, that's on the com. So with that, thanks again, Ken. And uh, you can have an amazing night, everybody out there. And uh, hopefully we will talk again soon. Absolutely. Good night. Thanks.